Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Tuesday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the Morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. Happy Halloween, everyone. What's An- going anything, on, everybody? Uh, anything spooky happened last night, this morning? Any- no, no spookiness. No spookiness that I know other than having to scrape my windows this morning. Ugh. I it thankfully did not. Time. It, yeah, was it was not enough to have to bring out the scraper. I don't even know where the scraper is. So that's yeah, that was my thing. I didn't even scrape. I just kind of like rubbed my my arm on it, my forearm, because <laughs> I was like, I'm not even going to try to find the scraper, but I'm, I'm going to have to again tomorrow. It's supposed to be lows in the 20s again tonight. But yes, ha- happy Halloween, everybody. Uh, 46862, let us know your most unique Halloween costume yes. that you've ever worn. I don't care if you were a kid. I don't care if you were an adult. You're the most unique Halloween costume ever worn. Let us know. I'm trying to th- like trying to think of unique costumes I had as a kid. Like I'm sure I went as like a a vampire once. I think I had a costume one year where I literally just put like a, a paper bag over my head. <laughs> <laughs> that was just like at the you know you're you're older, so you still want the candy, but yeah, you don't want to put, put any effort. effort. Well, usually it's, oh, I'll just find a scary mask yeah. and just wear that, even with regular clothes. But yeah, bag over your head, whatever. Whatever you got to do to get candy. Um, I dressed back in the day of as the cigarette smoking man in the X-Files. <laughs> so just uh, wore a suit and had like fake uh, candy cigarettes, walked around all with. I thought you were going to say you dressed up as, as like the Marlboro man or, or Joe nope. Camel or something. Nope. Nothing cool like that. Um, I did dress up. I, I, my, uh, had a girlfriend the first year of college that she was, uh, a cheerleader. So I wore a cheerleading outfit. Oh, wow. You went yeah. all out. Yeah. But, uh, I couldn't fit in that now. Trust me, <laughs> <laughs> but let us know four, six, eight, six, two, your most unique Halloween costume. You've worn. I don't care if you're a kid, adult, whatever. Let us know. Uh, also, before we get to headlines yesterday, I learned was, the anniversary of Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. We always find these things out after. Yes, right? Because it was the um, Dennis Green. Mm-hmm. We found out after there was another one, too. Uh, was, Mike Gunny, I'm a man. Yes. We 40. found out that out at the during the day after the show, unfortunately. So happy anniversary, Herm Edwards. Belated, but yes. yes. One, of the, one of the all-time great sports rants. So uh, headlines and happening overnight... Uh, before we get to the World Series and the NFL, um, James Harden traded to the Los Angeles Clippers. He'll reunite with Russell Westbrook. What could go wrong? <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. I'm not going to lie. Uh, the the Sixers getting Marcus Morris, Nicholas Batum, Robert Covington, KJ Martin, multiple draft picks, and a pick swap for James Harden, PJ Tucker, and Philip Petrusev. So obviously losing PJ Tucker is going to be a loss for the Sixers. Uh, a lot of pieces. I, I mean, on one hand, if you're Joel Embiid, you don't have to deal with this nonsense. On the other, your team just got worse, and you're not going to win a title still. So that's got to be a fun feeling. Yeah, I guess. But like, it's funny because James Harden, he was he didn't get paid at Houston. That was Fred Van Vliet's money with the max cap. He's not getting paid in Philly. That's Joel Embiid's money. That's basically what... What uh, James Harden is chasing is max money. He's not chasing a title. You can't convince me he's chasing a title. He's chasing money. Houston wouldn't pay him. Philly wouldn't pay him. Now he's hoping that the Clippers will pay him. But at 34, 
Who's giving max money to James Hart? I don't know. So the, the Clippers have Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook to go with James Harden now. I'm sure that will be that very will fun be to watch. An absolute dumpster fire to watch. <laughs> They're not winning a title whatsoever. No. I've, I, I have zero interest in James Harden. I don't care what he does. He's obviously just a money chaser. He's a clout chaser. He's not a title chaser. He's not willing to to take a bad deal or less money to build a championship team. He's a selfish dude. Have no time for him. Couldn't agree more. Uh, not a fan of James Harden. Uh, I'm only t- we're only talking about this because it was notable. I didn't even get no, into get the it. nonsense of what was happening in the last week. You know where he wasn't allowed to board the team plane and he wasn't at practice and all that nonsense. Well, now. He's gone. The Sixers don't have to deal with the headache. Uh, the Sixers also had to waive veteran guard Danny Green to create roster space. So you would think Danny Green will get snapped up by someone to have a kind of a three and D guy. I get the disease. He's been in the league forever. It seems like, but I'm sure someone will snap him up as well. Seems like it, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure Philly is, they're not losing any sleep over finally moving James Harden. All right. Time's up. Done talking about James Harden. Let's talk about the, right, the good go. stuff. Uh, Major league baseball last night. Game three of the World Series. Texas Rangers now have a three to, or excuse me, a two to one series lead after a three to one win over the Arizona Diamondbacks. In this series, they jumped out uh, with three runs in the top of the third. Never really looked back after that in getting the win last night. Uh, Corey Seager had a home run in this one to help lead the Rangers. Max Scherzer. Only went three innings. He's had a rough postseason yeah, since coming has. back, but that was, dare I say, one of his better outings this postseason. We, you can look back and you looked at what the hero, who the heroes were last night for Texas: Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, John Gray, all dudes that Texas went out and grabbed a couple years ago in the offseason and free agency. And Gray was phenomenal last night and only went three innings, but in relief of Max Scherzer, three innings of shutout ball, and that was huge. Because with Texas scoring those three runs in the third, they were just clinging and, and trying to hold on. It. And Gray came in and gave them a, a key three innings of shutout ball. And Seager hits the homer, his fifth of the playoffs. And it was just a, a, a big effort. Marcus, Marcus Simeon with a big hit, too. So all that money paid out by Texas a couple years ago paid off last night. And now Texas takes a two-to-one lead. In the World Series, Texas is now nine and zero in the postseason when scoring first, and they're the first team in Major League history to win their first nine road games in one postseason. That's right, Texas is nine and zero. It's unbelievable this season. Nine and zero on the road this postseason. Nine and zero when scoring first. So again, Rangers up two to one in the series. Uh, they'll play again tonight, just after eight o'clock. First pitch in Arizona as uh, the Rangers try to take a 3-1 series lead or the Diamondbacks will try to tie it up at two games apiece. Now, I saw game one, lowest rated game one ever, which is hard to believe because it was an excellent game. I mean, you went to extra innings, but I guess happening on a Friday night never really helps. Uh, So we'll see if they can bounce back and hopefully we have a lengthy series because game one was exciting. The previous two were not. No, not at all. But it, uh, last night delivered, and now we uh, we set up for Game Four. Meanwhile, in the NFL, last night Monday Night Football, the Lions take care of the Raiders, twenty six to fourteen. 
Jimmy Garoppolo was bad. Just real bad. I, I'm i starting to wonder how much longer he's going to have chances here in Las Vegas. Well, when you have nobody behind him, when you have Brian Hoyer and Aiden O'Connell, he's going to get a lot of chances. But yeah, he was bad. Barely threw for 125 yards last night, a touchdown. But This game looked closer because the Raiders had a pick six yep. of Jared Goff in the third quarter, but this game wasn't close. Uh, Jameer Gibbs went for 152 and a touchdown for Detroit. Uh, Jared Goff threw for 202 yard or 272 yards, touchdown and a pick and Amon Ross St. Brown, six catches, 108 yards in the win. So Detroit improves to six and two Detroit continuing their strong season and far and away. The favorites in the NFC North, they were perhaps the favorite going into the season. And now I'm starting to wonder if anyone will catch them. Minnesota was, was hot, but if Kirk Cousins is out for a long time, which is the fear. Yeah, he's uh, got a torn ACL. He's going to be done. That, that's going to be it for the Vikings' chances. And that's going to be it for the NFC North. E- e- even before, it looked like nobody was touching the Lions. But the Lions last night, just relentless in their pressure. And this is from Next Gen Stats last night. The Lions' defense generated pressure on 71% of Jimmy G's dropbacks last night. The highest pressure rate by a defense in a game since 2018. Garoppolo was sacked six times. He came into the game being sacked just seven times all season, and the Lions nearly doubled that number last night. So the Detroit Lions delivering in Monday night football last night on both sides of the football. Uh, meanwhile, in college football, Iowa offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz out at the end of the season. Aww, why? I don't understand. <laughs> well, when you can't score points and you're an offensive coordinator, Eventually, it catches up to you, even if your dad is the head coach. Well, nepotism can only take you so here. far, right? And people were, thought it was absurd that he even had the chance this year to try they to prove couldn't himself. Couldn't even they're, they're not even close to the 25 points per game threshold he needed to keep not his job close. to begin with. And they finally announced they're moving on. It, clearly not working offensively. Here's the thing. Iowa is so good defensively and on special teams. If they had a halfway competent offense... They could compete they could to get compete. into the Big Ten championship game. Well, beyond that, because the Big Ten West stinks, they right. would maybe even have a chance to compete with the other big dogs in the Big Ten East. Iowa's averaging 19.5 points a game, so not even close to that 25-point mark that uh, Brian Ferentz needed to reach, but has only reached 25 points twice this season, none since September. So heading in the wrong direction. For that team, they're second to last. Na- they were second to last nationally in total offense last year, and they are now last this year in total offense. Two hundred and thirty-two yards per game. It ranks more than sixty-five yards behind any other Power Five program. They're averaging just fifteen points against Big Ten West opponents, and it's gotten worse with the loss of Cade McNamara and some other injuries offensively, but it's just absolutely terrible offense in Iowa, and it's been that way for a couple years. And to think that Iowa beat Purdue 20-14. to 14. Shows how much uh, Purdue has struggled Purdue offensively has as well. Yes, absolutely. ACC future football scheduling model has been revealed for next year through 2030. Remember Cal, SMU, and Stanford joining the conference. Uh, the new model, uh, all 17... Uh, League teams will play each other at least twice in seven years, which I think is hilarious. That's what they're touting. Uh, No divisions. Which I like. Uh, Each uh, season will have 16 annually protected matchups. Uh, Top two teams by conference win percentage will play in the uh, ACC championship game. Again, first Saturday in December. No change there. 
as far as uh, some of the matchups and 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 change it. Like, I don't think they're really missing out on any major rivalries. I know Clemson uh, is moving away from a couple of games, but it was nothing that was like a concern that you're losing out. And of course, Cal, Stanford, and SMU will have you know protected rivalry games against each other. Um, but Clemson has Florida State as their protected matchup. Um, so Clemson moving away from the Georgia Tech and NC State game uh, are, are the two games that going away. So they're just protecting the matchup with Florida State, which is fine. I think that's good for the conference. I'm no. sure Clemson likes not having to play NC State moving forward after what uh, happened, last, happened weekend. last week. But we'll have to... Here's the thing: is this schedule is made through 2030? How how long does it stay accurate? Whether they add or lose teams, we know what Florida State and, and Clemson are trying to do, mm-hmm. and you along never with know. North Carolina and NC State, and I think Miami as well. Yeah, you never know with, of course, with conference realignment, what's going to happen. So we'll see how relevant this football schedule is going forward. Yeah, I. I have my doubts this will stay as it is through 2030 just because I so think much we'll see change. a lot more movement. Yes. Um, in college basketball, Cooper Flagg, the top recruit, commits to Duke. This is not a surprise. This is, I feel like, been an, almost an open secret for like a week. Uh, but yeah. Coop, Cooper Flagg going to Duke. Um, he's a guy who will probably be a one and done for the Blue Devils uh, next year. Uh, also in college basketball, Louisville. Oh man, they have been exceptionally bad the last year plus. Exhibition game, they lose to Kentucky Wesleyan, seventy-one sixty-eight. Now the Cardinals won just four games last year and lost to a D two team that's picked to finish eighth in its league. And the worst part is, uh, Louisville also lost to a a D two team last year. So. We were talking about the lack of importance of exhibition games yesterday, but the trend is there for Louisville, who were just terrible last year, and they've already have a loss to Kentucky Wesleyan, albeit an exhibition. But if you were looking for improvement out of Louisville men's basketball this year, they're not off to a good start. They were perhaps the worst power six, because you have the Big East in, in basketball, power six conference team. In fact, I'd say it was pretty clear they were the worst Power Six conference team last year. Looks like they're well on their way to being the worst again. Uh, you wonder how much longer um, Kenny Payne is going to stay. Like, he probably gets this year and they probably move on. And you had a, a witty comment to me yesterday <laughs> talking about, uh, him, about him and how it, it's so absurd. You would think that Kenny Payne, you said, was a, was a UK plant. Yeah, I mean, like with Kentucky, how bad they are. Kentucky had made sure Kentucky, Kenny Payne <laughs> got the job because he's so terrible. It's shocking because remember, Kenny Payne was an IU assistant at one point. So he was, you know, th- it was thought to be, oh, this was the hire and Louisville's going to get back on track. And he had it ties to the Knicks as well. Okay, he had ties to the Knicks, not IU, but he was, I think, rumored to maybe be an option for IU when Mike Woodson was hired on. Uh, that's where I'm getting that mixed up, but just a complete disaster. And it's he has shocking. history at Kentucky. I'm yeah. just saying, is he, he a Kentucky does. plant to just destroy Louisville basketball? <laughs> Cause he's doing a hell of a job. Like, how can you be four and 28 at Louisville? I, I don't know. I, I, it's, I just don't understand how you can do that. 
So I think you're onto something. I think he's a legit plant by the University of Kentucky to just destroy Louisville basketball. He's doing a hell of a job. Yeah, it's working quite well so far. (laughs) One of my buddies texted me about Cooper. He's a Duke fan. Cooper Flag committing uh, to Duke. Um, Yeah, Uh, we'll get more on Duke and IU a bit later on in the show. Interesting comment by Mike Woodson. Um, elsewhere, I wanted to talk about these couple things in the NBA. So one trace Jackson Davis, solid, uh, debut, uh, or, or solid game last night, 13 points, 10 rebounds, four blocks, uh, only players in NBA history to record this in their first or second NBA game. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal, David Robinson, Bill Walton, Dikembe Mutombo, uh, Ralph Sampson, Michael Thompson, Carl Anthony Towns, and Chet Holmgren. Trace Jackson Davis did all that in 13 minutes. Very efficient. And that's what he was brought in to do. And if he can do that consistently, he's going to see a lot of time. So after he didn't play early on in the season, he's now making an impact. Uh, Also, the NBA courts for the in-season tournament have been revealed. I don't necessarily like the Pacers one, but I like these. I like some of them, but I don't like the Pacers court. I, I saw the Pacers and I was like, wait, wait, it's, it's like mislabeled. I, I don't know what this, this color is. It's like an alternate color. It's like, a, what would you say? Like a tealy? Yeah, teal-ish? it's more, it's kind of like a, Light uh, like a beach blue. blue there you go. I, I guess. Some like of the courts sky are cool. blue maybe? Yeah, sky blue with more of a yellow than a gold. And then some interesting font with indie on it. Um, they'll have these courts... Uh, it was not used for last night's game against the Bulls, but they'll have these for the in-season tournament. Tips off again this Friday against the Cavs. New home floor for this. Pacers also have, I think, alternate jerseys. It's it, interesting. It's not permanent, so I guess I can deal with it. It's uh, It would be the only reason why I would watch the in-season tournament. <laughs> yeah, the That's courts. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but I think they're pretty slick. Uh, someone texting in, Georgetown might be worse than Louisville. I don't know. Georgetown's been pretty bad, but I I, I don't know. Patrick Ewing's no longer the coach there. Yeah, what, is, what is it, Ed Cooley there? Yeah, they should be a lot better. And he had, yeah, I, I would think so. He was at Providence for a little forever. Mm-hmm. Somebody was. Yeah, I think so. Maybe year one. Year one, may, I mean. Back, but they, they're not uh, winning only four games. Yeah, they, they won seven games last year, so they were... Almost doubling yeah. Louisville's win total. To put that in perspective, uh, with how bad that they were, so uh, a, a lot of a lot of things to watch for. But I, I think Georgetown will be improved after a very bad twenty twenty two twenty three season. And the Pacers. One other note: the Pacers fall at home to the Bulls. Pretty hard to win when your three point shooting is as bad as it was last night. For Indiana, 12 of 46. Ooh. Yeah. That's not good. No. Not ideal. Pacers fall 112-105. First loss of the season. So they're now 2-1 and one on the year. 46862, your text line number. Again, 46862. That is the text line. Don't forget, you can also stream us, 1380thefan.com, on the free 1380thefan app, or on your smart speaker. All free ways to listen. Coming up on the show today... Uh, Bally Sports, speaking of the NBA, Bally Sports again continues to be a disaster for fans. Uh, Dabo Sweeney, interesting comments about Notre Dame. Even more interesting comments to a fan during a coach's show. We'll get to that uh, later on. Uh, The Big Ten ACC Challenge, not over if you're Mike Woodson. We'll explain where his head is at in all of that. 
Uh, the NCAA is determined to ruin postseason basketball. We'll explain what's going on there in hour number two. Also in hour number two, uh, Purdue fans, you may not like it, but uh, former spoilers of the Boilers are forming a hoops showcase. Mm. And at 8.30, Tom Loy of 24-7 Sports will join us talk about key injuries for Notre Dame along with the matchup at Clemson coming up on Saturday afternoon. Before we leave you, back on the bear beat. Excellent. Bears and a minivan. We'll explain what happened there. Hmm. Coming up uh, about 8.50. It's getting to crunch time for the Bears because hibernation is coming. So they're running out of time to fatten up. I am I'm surprised that the this was their choice. Okay. And I'm not sure exactly how it happened. Uh, it seemed pretty unclear as far as uh how they they got in and how they got stuck. <laughs> I'll leave yeah. it at that. All right, we'll talk about that. Uh, so last night I, I saw this Bally Sports, the Bally Sports app, and again, this is the company that's the regional sports network it does streaming for a majority of nba teams uh used to be with a lot of major league baseball teams they've since moved on same with hockey Uh, but it was down for over three hours with a widespread outage this isn't just affecting fans of the pacers this is affecting fans across the board uh the bally plus the nba league pass so for example if you're a pacers fan and bally's down but you have NBA League Pass, again, due to blackout rules, you can't watch. So people unable to watch, but don't worry, they were, they were tweeting highlights, highlight <laughs> clips on the account. So while you have the NBA trying to figure out how to move on, the NHL and MLB, it almost already feels like they've already done their part to try to, to move forward. Uh, they cashed all those regional sports network checks. And what happened with the NFL? Well, it grew exponentially. I mean, think about this. Over the last 20-plus years when this became a thing, that's when the NFL grew as quickly as it did. It did. And I think it, well, two things. Uh, You had the Coyotes yesterday also say that the Diamond Sports Group owes them $18 million, which is a bit of a problem. But I think you look at this overall, these are the dangers of watching sports via stream. Because over the weekend, I don't think it was locally, but YouTube TV had issues, Mm -hmm. outages, Around and, the country, here and there, and that was with the the Sunday, Sunday ticket package, ticket. yes. Which, funny enough, ties in the NFL. So, uh, we we saw the issues, and and it came to a breaking point over the last couple of years, really since Fox sold off, um, or, or excuse me, ESPN, because they technically owned all the Fox regional networks. They sold that off to Sinclair, and then Sinclair sold off to Diamond Sports Group, and it's just been an absolute failure the last three plus years in all of this and we're seeing what, what's happening so streaming is not a good enough product yet because it can be fairly unreliable compared to cable and broadcast tv but then at the same time the nfl i mean going to prime going to, to youtube tv prime has been fairly solid i will say but YouTube TV, you knew you'd have issues coming. I, I don't know why. You just you just knew it would happen. Well, you're always going to have issues. Back when I had satellite and watching games in a, a thunderstorm yep. rainstorm, through and you'd you'd be screwed over. I missed the final couple minutes of the Blackhawks. I think it was 2013 clinching the Stanley Cup because of a storm moving through. It's just what you deal with nowadays. But it, unless it's on over the air cable and you got an antenna or something, like you're going to have issues if you're streaming whatsoever at some point. 
but um, it just kind of goes with the territory, unfortunately. But when you look at Valley Sports and the regional sports networks, it's just one issue after another. Out of sight, out of mind. And I think that's that's the issue I have with the Pacers. They're putting a good product on the floor, but if you don't have the right cable plan or if you're not willing to play for Valley Sports Plus, which I think is 20 bucks a month, sorry, it's not yes. worth that much money to me, uh, out of sight, out of mind. They're not making it easy to be a fan of the Pacers. Correct. And I, you look at it, and, and earlier through the first week of the season, you could say the Pacers look like one of the best teams in the NBA. Now it's only two games, three games after last night, but there's intrigue there. There's interest there, but they don't make it easy. I cannot turn on my Hulu TV and find the Pacers. Same with whatsoever. me and YouTube TV. And they're not popular enough to be on national television very much. No. So you're lost. And, and you can't build a fan base that way. You it, can't build interest around the state for your state's team or your 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 capital city's team if you can't watch them. And again, I'm not going to change my TV plan just to get that because it's going to cost me a fortune more. Exactly. You're not Whether it's adding invested. on the, the app and, and paying the 20 bucks a month or completely changing my TV plan, there's no way I'm going to get a better deal than what I have right now with YouTube TV splitting the cost with a friend, which you can do, like you can split right. it up to up to four accounts. Um, so it's just, again, this is kind of the issue. Like I get that the Pacers lost last night, but you, you have a team that I think so far looks like they are very much in contention to be a playoff team, but a lot of people can't watch it. And therefore at some point this will catch up and you won't have a fan base, you know, outside of Indy, which is what you don't, it's, it's, it's now. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it. The Indiana Pacers, Pacers should be the Indianapolis Pacers, and the Indianapolis Colts should be the Indiana Colts. With the efforts that both franchises... It's funny, though, because people in Indy will say the opposite about as far as the Pacers being really good within the community in Indy, Yeah, but it's just not, you know, and the Colts maybe not so much involved. So it's like opposite, I guess, huh. in the city from what I read from people. I think the Colts do a great job of getting out into the state. We've seen yes. just here. The Tin Caps have Colts night annually. I mean, we had Colts, called their Colts radio folk coming up here, yeah, and talking to us to spread the word about the Colts. I mean, they 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 make concerted efforts. When's the last time the Indiana Pacers did anything up here outside of come in and move the Mad Ants down to, <laughs> to, to Indianapolis? Nothing. 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 So. You cannot tell me that they're doing everything they possibly can to endear themselves to around the state. And that makes it then when you have an opportunity to watch them or not watch them, more people are going to choose not to watch them because it's so difficult to watch. And what's making you care about the Pacers if you live in Fort Wayne or Evansville or Terre Haute or up in the region? Not much. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Coming up on the other side, Notre Dame Clemson already with plenty of intrigue as it is. Well, Dabo Sweeney made some interesting comments about the Irish and some interesting comments to a fan. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. A couple of texts rolling in on the text line. Again, 46862. The number, CK, why pay money to watch the Pacers play mediocre basketball? Well, that's been the case the last couple of years. I think this year is the first year they have a product that's worth, you know, you know, going out and maybe going to a game or 
trying to watch on TV, but they don't make it easy to watch on TV. But here's the thing, okay? So you could say that about the Pacers, and it's true, but how many people are going out and getting Prime, for example, to watch the Colts? A lot of people when they're on Thursday night football. Yeah. And they're a mediocre football team. Yeah. That's the thing. That's when we talk about people care about the Colts in this state. They care about watching the Colts. They don't care about watching the Pacers. You can't say, well, I'm not paying money to watch mediocre basketball because plenty of people pay money to watch mediocre football. That is the Colts. But there's a fan base there. There's not for the for, Pacers. For now. <laughs> well, yeah. But I think there's always been a fan base. There. Even when... There was nobody going to games when they were sucking for luck. Like people still cared about the Colts. Like people, th- there's a difference between not wa- not going, not watching, and not caring. People don't care about the Indianapolis Indiana Pacers. That's the problem. I will say this: the Colts, uh, ever since Peyton Manning's come on board, have had a fan base. They've been able to weather bad years. Yes, but prior to that, they were a non-factor. So yeah, prior to to Peyton Manning, yes. yes. So Absolutely. at some point, though, you eventually have to start winning again. In uh, at some point, Dabo Sweeney at Clemson will have to win again. I don't think there's any pressure this year, even though it's been a bad season. Four and four on the year. They lost to Duke in the opener, lost to Florida State in overtime with some some bad play calling late. Lost to NC State last week. They've had their struggles. And, and Dabo Sweeney joked earlier this season. That it, it could be good to lose a few games to get some fans off the Clemson bandwagon. Mm, right? Ha ha, funny. So it was funny at the time. At the time, not funny anymore. No, after last week's loss, uh, Dabo Sweeney on his coach's show was ripping uh, into a fan on his radio call-in show. Tyler from Spartanburg uh, asking Dabo uh, why Clemson's paying him a huge salary just to go four and four. Dabo went on to say, you're part of the problem. Also said, if you want to apply for the job, go for it, and good luck to you. This is like a five-minute-long answer. He talked about how, you know, coaches should be allowed to have down years, which I actually agree with him. He's earned the right at Clemson. 12, 10-plus win seasons. This is going to be the first non-10-win season since I think his first or second year. So he's had so much success, and he, he talked about how, you know, we – Won a national championship, you know, won two in seven years. The only teams to to do that are Georgia and Alabama joining them. So he's right on all of that. Then he continued to to go in. Uh, probably didn't make himself look good though here with these comments. And I'm where I am because I've worked my ass off every single day, and I ain't gonna let some smart ass kid get on their phone <laughs> and create this stuff. So if you got a problem with that, I don't care. I work for, for the board of trustees, the president, and the AD. And if they're tired of me leading this program, all they got to do is let me know. I'll go somewhere else where there is an appreciation. Right? It's not just winning. It's how you win. And we are in a – this is a tough year. But we've had 12, 12, 10-plus win seasons in a row. 12. We lost to Tennessee last year. They won 11 games for the first time in like 20 years. We've had 8, 11 win seasons in, in whatever, 11 years or whatever. We've won two national championships. Clemson went 35 years. All right, probably since before you were born. Your whole freaking life. And we've won two in seven years. And we earned it. And we beat the best of the best to do it. The best of the best. 
12, 10 plus win things, so if you want to know why, that's why. Am I perfect? Nope. I'm far from it. I am a, and I am a man of faith. Absolutely. All right? Kudos to Dabo. Yeah. Because he's right. He is, he is right, 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 right. Because the the amount of success that Clemson has had is rivaled only by Alabama and Georgia. That's it in the last decade plus. And we are in such a world where people, and I think it's media driven, we don't help, trust me, we don't help that we put these t- these programs on a pedestal so when they start losing more games than we're used to, we go, what's wrong with Clemson? What's wrong with Alabama? We said that earlier this year when Alabama lost. Oh my gosh, what's wrong with Alabama? Alabama's falling. Well, they haven't lost since. Yeah. And even if they go 10-3 and three with a bowl win, we think it's terrible for Alabama, which means their fans think, like, you raise the level so high for some of these programs that when they have a, a struggle of a season, everybody wants to say, well, what's wrong with Dabo? What's wrong with Clemson? And, and we're to blame for it. But he's right. He is right in that Clemson has been so good that when they have a mediocre season, it's, it opens them up to criticism. Unfair criticism, in my opinion. Does Dabo need to make adjustments? Absolutely. Needs to get in the portal more. Yeah, he needs to use the portal. He needs to utilize the portal. But is, should Dabo be forgiven for going 4-4 four and four this season? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's just, people, it's an instant gratification world. It's any time. And this, make no mistake, we see see this at the high school level, too, around here. Oh, yeah. Go talk to coaches that have won conference championships and sectional championships and all this stuff, and they have a year where they don't, and talk about about the criticism they hear, either directly or indirectly, about they're terrible because they didn't win the conference, or why did you lose to this team when you beat them each of the last three years, or why didn't you win a sectional? You won five of the last six sectionals. You didn't win this year. Like This is real in high school around this area. Dabo even brought up other legendary Clemson coaches like Danny Ford, who had a six and five season in 1980, who had a six and six season in 85. And he won, he won a national championship there. Dabo's had more success than any other coach in Clemson history. Uh, Frank Ford had several losing seasons at Clemson, but he also had an undefeated season at Clemson. So, um, Dabo's had one. Yeah. He's like, had what three und- four undefeated regular seasons, won a national championship going fifteen and zero in twenty eighteen. I think they had a loss in twenty sixteen when they won the title. Yeah, they had a loss then. So he just has the one undefeated uh, as far as after the college football playoff. But he's had several undefeated regular, regular seasons. seasons. Here's my thing, and, and and we'll talk about the the matchup with Notre Dame here shortly. But Dabo, like losing it on a fan, that's just like frustration. As far as and and to be fair, the fans' question was absurd. Why are we paying you eleven and a half million dollars to go four and four? Like and, and Dabo rightfully pointed out, and I, I get people like if you don't like Dabo, you're just gonna find every little thing to say he's entitled and he's part of the problem. I get that. Right. And that, that's that's across the spectrum. If you don't like a coach, and it happens in the high school, if you don't like Jason Garrett at Bishop Dwanger, every time that Dwanger loses, you're calling him out. If you don't like uh, Brett Fox at Columbia City, then when they don't win the conference or the sectional title like they did last year, then you're criticizing it. And it happens 
unfortunately, at the high school level, at least these guys at the, at the, at the college level are making millions of dollars to be criticized. But at the same time, it's just absurd expectations by people. Dabo's more than earned the right to have one bad season. And he's already, you know, you got to remember where they came from with Dabo. He's a guy who was the, like the wide receivers coach who was promoted to interim head coach after Tommy Bound got fired. Uh, there are a lot of expectations for that team going back to like 2008 or 2009. Then, so he gets promoted. Then he gets the job. Fans are ready to can him then after oh, they the next were. year. Well, because, I mean, it wasn't amazing when he, when he replaced Tommy Bowden. No. I think they went 500 the rest of the way or something, lost a bowl game, and then had a decent season the year, the year after. Nine wins, I think. Like nine and four, something like that. And they were still ready to can him then. But at the time when they hired Dabo Sweeney, people were like, why is Dabo getting this job? He proved nothing when he was an interim coach. He doesn't have any experience in terms of being a coach at the college level. He was an assistant at Alabama, an assistant at Clemson. Now look where Clemson is. And yes, we're talking about Clemson falling off a little bit because of being 4-4. Four and four, But for the last decade, they have been, when we talk about four teams, you talk about Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson. That's been it in the last decade in terms of the dominant programs in college football. I mean, fans wanted a Tommy Bowden guy to be the the interim coach. Like they were, they were not happy with how things went. So, yeah, it, it's my thing is he's earned the right to not only have one bad year this year. He, he could have two more losing seasons before I think it'd be time to move on from a coach like him with the success he's had. Yeah, um, not, not I, one, two, not two thirds of a season where you're throwing him. That said, I will say this. Dabo Sweeney makes enough money to face the heat. It may be unnecessary heat. It may be misguided heat, but people are like, well, that's what he gets for taking calls on his show and all that stuff. Credit to Dabo for doing that, but he makes enough money to deal with unrealistic fans. That's for sure. I don't feel bad for Dabo having to answer this question. He makes 11 and a half million dollars a year to talk to, to idiots like this. But at the same time, very bold of Tyler from Spartanburg to actually ask the question, well, which ever, took you know him like a minute and a half to actually ask the question. <laughs> we couldn't play the full audio because the question was too long. Yeah, right? But it's easier when you're on the phone or behind a keyboard to ask those type of questions and be an ass than face-to-face. I have a lot more, uh, uh, I have a lot more appreciation for people that do it at least to somebody's face, as opposed to hiding behind a keyboard. We get it all the time here at the radio, and you get it uh, on social media all the time about people that want to talk uh, bad about people or whatever. But um, yeah, uh, at least Dabo took the question and ran with it and gave us a great soundbite. But uh, it's just, you know, for Dabo, and then this comes back around to Notre Dame coming up this weekend, what would save this season for Clemson? Beating Knocking Notre Dame. off Notre Dame. Uh, Dabo, and a couple of texts I want to get to after this, but Dabo had good comments about Notre Dame. Uh, on his radio show, he also said, Notre Dame is easily on paper the most complete team we played this season. Uh, I'm sure Duke and I'm sure Florida State fans are livid at that comment. Yeah, especially when you got housed by Duke and you lost to Florida State. That was a close game, yeah, if I remember. Overtime. But um, Clemson is not... Far like they lose to Florida State in overtime, they lose to Miami in double overtime, and of course, Kay Klubnick getting the blame for that one. But 
Clemson has been very, very good at home. Their only loss this season at home has been that overtime loss to Florida State. And I'm sorry, Dabo, Florida State's a better football team than Notre Dame. Yes. So if you think the the Irish, does anybody out there think the Irish are going to go in and and roll a 4-4 and Clemson team? It's a different team at home for Clemson than it is on the road. Again, three of their four losses have come on the road. And what do you always say about uh, teams in situations like this? The desperate team, right? Clemson is the desperate team coming off the loss to North Carolina State. I mean, they need two wins to reach bowl eligibility, and they have four opportunities to do that. And this Notre Dame is the first of three straight home games before they go to South Carolina to end the season. I feel, and I know people are excited about the 58-7 to win for Notre Dame. I... Was I mean the defense was sti- the defense was amazing for Notre Dame. The offense is just they've been the same uh, problem since the the Louisville and Duke game. And I think this is a conversation to have later in the week or or later on in the next couple of weeks when you look at Sam Hartman's body of work and how much we've talked about how good Sam Hartman has been. I think there's a part of me that once we look back on the season, go I expected more. He was good in September. I don't think he's been really that good since. Yeah, he had that one drive against Duke late, but he's had his struggles. And I think the outsized expectations as far as getting an experienced quarterback in the portal for Notre Dame fans, it was easy to forget about, you know, the the bad performances he had at Wake Forest, you know, seemingly every year against Louisville, for example, which continued on to Notre Dame, unfortunately for Irish yeah. fans. Well, and... uh and Pitt, for that matter, yes. he looked not good. No, against Pitt. But I think overall, if, you, if Notre Dame gets through the season ten and two, then you're saying yes, it was absolutely worth it. But I just look at at, at Notre Dame right now, and people almost like penciling in this win. Yeah, no, uh, no, absolutely because not. Because Clemson is still a really dangerous team, and you're going to play a fired up team. If anything, last night's coaches show put even more fire underneath Clemson to come out and beat Notre Dame at high noon on Saturday. Couple of texts coming in. Uh, CK, I don't agree. The new college football norm is you win now or you move on. There's no longer time to build a program with the transfer portal being as active as it is. But he's built a program. Yeah, he already he's built, built a program. A pro- he's like built a program he, of twelve straight seasons of double in double digit win seasons. Like that's why you you don't move. Like no one in their right mind. And college football fans are often not in their right mind when it comes to particularly in the South. Yes, teams and and struggling. If if Ryan Day had a six and six season, you think Ohio State's going to move on from him after one six and six season? No. That said, there will be a certain amount of, of Ohio State fans. That oh are yeah. Like, oh my gosh, they're, what's psh- going on? Yes. Gosh, you you listen to Ohio State fans, it's like the sky is falling if they're down at halftime. Like yeah, there there's absolutely and, no reason to do something like that. And that's where Clemson fans have been for a long time. Is they their expectations are so insanely through the roof. That when you have a down season, you, you, he's open to criticism. There are 133 teams in FBS. Only one can be the champion. Only four currently can make the playoff. If Clemson moving forward is just making the playoff and the 12 team, those seasons are a success. If they're winning 10 games, those seasons are a success. Anything above that is gravy. And and to have a down season. A coach coaches should be afforded to have a down season. Brian Kelly had a down season. How do you respond after that at Notre Dame? Pretty darn well, huh? 
10, 10 plus wins every year after. Dabo, uh, if anything, has learned this year that he needs to be more aggressive in the portal. And yes. he's smart enough and a good enough coach to realize that. Do you think he's actually going to change on that? Uh, yeah. Okay. Because I, I think he's seen enough to know that he better change. Yeah, he has to. <laughs> so, lesson learned for Dabo. But, no, by any means, you look at Clemson 4-4 four and four record, 2-4 and four in the ACC, you'll ask what happened that year, but I feel it's more of a blip on the radar for Dabo. But make no mistake, Notre Dame going into Clemson on Saturday, a different team for Clemson at home. Again, their only loss this season at home in overtime to Florida State, a team that's a better football team than Notre Dame. So this is a big challenge for the Irish, and nothing would salvage the season more for Dabo and the Tigers than to knock off Notre Dame. Uh, someone else texting in, CK, did anyone criticize Bishop Dwinger when they lost to Elmhurst back in 2006, school that lost 64 straight games? If 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 Jason Garrett would go out and lose uh, to, let's say, uh, Southside, then the amount of hate for Jason Garrett would be insane. It's people with personal personal feelings for for Jason Garrett that that dictate the the criticisms of him and the Bishop Dwinger program. The fact is, he's fifty four nineteen. He's won a sectional four of of his five years. He's gotten the state champ, won the state championship his inaugural season. Bishop Dwinger playing for another sectional championship this Friday against Leo. So it's absurd to me that every time. And you see this in, 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 in college fan bases in particular, and like Dabo, anytime he loses a game, it opens himself up to criticism. That's why the, the expectations are so unrealistic for some of these programs, college and high school. It's impossible to play at that level forever. Uh, another texter pointing out, and, and you know we kind of touched on this, but saying, you know, when you're verbal about your dislike with a portal, pressure will be applied, hence the comments he received. Um, yeah, Dabo's not been in favor of the portal. I think that changes after this year. If he doesn't adjust... Yes, adapt or die, right? Yeah. Or adapt or get fired. In yeah, this, that, in this that will take care of itself in another season or two. Or 6862, your text line. Meanwhile, coming up on the other side, we'll wrap up our number one. Big 10 ACC challenge, not over if you're Mike Woodson. While I like the idea, I hate his execution of it. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping up hour number one, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Mike Woodson, interesting comments on his radio show, which will air tonight on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM as it will air at 8.05 so we had a, a scheduling conflict yesterday, so it'll air at 8.05 tonight. Uh, but he wants to play an exhibition game against a team like Duke. Wants to bring in a major team for an exhibition game in the future. We've seen this with Tennessee, Michigan State, Purdue, Arkansas, so on and so forth. Uh, here's my thing with all of this. These exhibition games, why can't we just play these games no. to start the regular <laughs> season? Right? Like, it's kind of stupid. Like, the, like I get... That, oh, the, the reason is, oh, these games are for charity. Yeah, you could still have them for charity exactly. in the regular season. Like, I, I like the idea, but execute it as a a regular season game. College basketball's biggest problem is the start of the season's an absolute dud. And when the season actually starts to get going, which is Thanksgiving week, you have, you know, all the special tournaments and, and whatnot. The problem is it's the biggest week for the college football regular season 
And of course, you have NFL games on Thursday. Now on Friday, remember they have a Black Friday game, plus on Sunday. So you're still an afterthought, and that's your biggest week of the regular season up to that point. And it's three weeks in. Yeah, my thing is, I agree. At first, I was like, well, you know, they should have more of these exhibition games. Look at Purdue playing Arkansas. Yeah. Why can't that just be the the, the start, opening game of the season? Start that to the season. Like, Instead of opening with Moorhead State or Samford or whoever it is. College basketball's issue is, and we've talked about this before, you have plenty of time early in the season to have Tuesday and Wednesday night games where there's no competition with football. Uh, again, minus Maction, but that's not drawing a huge rating. Um, to, to get your product in front of people to have no football, you know, you can build around the schedule. So there's no football uh, on the other side, as far as, as competing with it on the schedule. And yet you're out there, like you said, scheduling Moorhead state and IU opening with Florida Gulf coast. I mean, Florida Gulf coast is at least a known program. Yeah. But is, is, and this is a greater conversation for another day, I think, but is college basketball held back? Because the top programs, the top leagues, don't go at go and play each other more often. You look at college football, and the Power Five, soon to be Power Four, has separated itself from the Group of Five because of their ability to hype up matchups with each other and just beat up on each other and all that stuff. We just don't have that in college basketball. There's too many high majors playing low and mid majors. If that makes sense. Yeah, well, you just you don't have the opening weekend like you do. College football, you have Labor Day weekend, and you have several ranked versus ranked matchups. And I get it. There's more There's more games, so you don't want to – the non-conference, I get it. You don't want to play murderer's row because then you have to go into your league and do that. I, I understand that. At the same time, if you want to grow your sport, particularly prior to the, to the, to the tournament, is wouldn't you want to stack – games that are big deals out of conference early in November and December. Yeah. Because you're playing in your conference during the season anyway. Yeah. I, I just think it's a, it's another huge missed opportunity and you, you had good matchups like in, in college football every year on Labor Day weekend, you're guaranteed at least one, you know, high profile ranked versus ranked game. It's usually a top 10 game. This year is LSU, Florida state is the Sunday night game. You had Clemson Duke, the Monday night game, which you knew could be decent. You had several other games throughout this game. North Carolina, South Carolina, there's some intrigue there. But that Colorado TCU, obviously, was a was a huge matchup. So not all of these even have to be ranked versus ranked matchups. But for college basketball, like make it happen. Kansas, Illinois. Why is that an exhibition game? Play the uh, yeah. Purdue, Arkansas. Why is that exhibition? Michigan State, Tennessee. When you look at it, is is do you think there's a time in the near future where a basketball coach or college basketball coach of a major program approaches the non-conference as we're just going to make it banger after banger? When you look at IU and playing the likes of Army and Harvard and uh, Moorhead State and North Alabama and Kennesaw State, like what is that really doing to help your program, really, outside of, well, we just don't want to play tough team after tough team? Why not? Why not? Like, I understand keeping two or three of those, but when do we see somebody build a schedule that just is an absolute um, meat grinder of a, of a non-conference and say, you know what, we're going to be better for it? So in texting, and high majors playing low majors keeps the low major programs going. But why does why do the high majors care? They don't care in college football. No. So why should the high majors care? 
I mean, they want to get rid of the low majors in the NCAA tournament. We've heard that from coaches yeah, and right? administrators. And we're talking about the NIT, yeah. the new format with the NIT yeah. that we'll talk about. So why do the high majors care what the low majors are doing? They don't in college football. You think teams in the SEC really care about about the MAC teams making it? No. And making sure they're... No, they don't care. Nor should they. In fact, we'll talk about what's happening with the NIT coming up on the other side. I feel like the NCAA is determined on ruining postseason basketball. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Happy Halloween, chilly one out there. Do we officially have our first freeze of the year? Uh, I think so. I mean, I mean look, just, I'm looking uh, at the, the field yes, behind the it station. Is, uh, it, it is frozen. It looks up. frozen. It's uh, not going to be a, a good night for, at least, uh, not going to rain, at least. It always could be worse yeah, tonight. Yeah, that's but true. Stalking during the break with some buddies about candy. So, uh, Necco wafers. Yeah, they don't make those anymore, right? Uh, you can get them, yeah. Oh, you, you can? Go to, yeah. Uh, people that give out, if there's anybody out there give out Necco ra- wafers anymore, the worst. Yeah, I don't. Worst. I don't really it's remember like getting shock. those. To me, the worst thing, and I think Mike D down the hall at K105 was talking about this the other day on a show, the midday show, was I overheard him talking about, and I think we talked about this. The they were like in orange, black, and brown wrappers. Yes. Those yes. like peanut those butter, crappy peanut butter chew things, like chews. Except it didn't always, taste like peanut butter, and it wasn't good. No, and it's too and hard. They were hard. Yeah, like they were chew. Like if you if you unwrapped one and tried to chew it right away, you would break your your tooth. The but, absolute worst. I, I, in my opinion, the worst thing you could get were those. What about a uh, buddy of mine texted about circus peanuts? Oh, those. I remember being like obsessed with the idea of circus peanuts as a kid. And even more recently as an adult thinking in my head that they were that good? They're soft, that they're yeah. more like marshmallow, but right. no, they're hard. They're not good. Uh, circus peanuts to me, like I would have one and I'd be like, Hey, these, you know, these are pretty good by the second one. I'd be like, these are disgusting. I don't know what it was. If you just had one circus peanut, it'd be tolerable, but you couldn't eat more than one. At least it, I couldn't. Do you ever like go on a road trip and get something? You know, I, I think my wife and I got circus peanuts like one time and it, it was, we were both so disappointed. Right. By getting that. Like, is there anything you, you get on a road trip that you haven't had in years and you try it? Like yeah, I, 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 mean, I had sour punch straws one time a couple years ago. Yeah. Ugh. No, I love those in middle school and high school. Like the ones in a little tray and you pull mm-hmm. out and eat them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, sour stuff that I used to be able to do, not like warheads. Yeah. Tear jerkers. Yeah. I can't do them anymore. Can't do that stuff anymore. The sour stuff. But no, I, uh, it, we talked about your, your love of almond candy. Which is, <laughs> no, coconut. coconut. Candy. Yeah. Almonds. Mounds and almond joy. Coconut candy. But yeah, Neckos and, um, Circus peanuts and those, 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 and the thing is with those chews, like I never saw them on sale anywhere, but people yeah, where had do, them. Where do where people, people get buy them? them? They probably just had them left over from probably years and from, years. That's why they were so hard. From Halloween 1992 <laughs> and they just gave them out 93, 94, 95. <laughs> I, I don't know where people bought those, but they were disgusting. And you'd come up there and people would give you like three, four or five at a time. Cause Lord knows they didn't want them. I'm like, these are gross. Uh, four, six, eight, six, two worst candy. You you remember getting as a kid worst candy item you remember getting as a kid during trick or treating for Halloween marshmallow no can't yeah do it. yeah can't those, do marshmallow those can be iffy uh, again don't forget you can also stream us thirteen eighty the fan on the free thirteen eighty the fan app 
again, free for you to download or on your smart speaker. So you can listen to us in your car, at home, at work. Plenty of options for you with the stream, the app, or your smart speaker. Coming up this hour on the show, the NCAA is determined to ruin postseason basketball. A recent change, not for the tournament, but for the NIT. We'll go over that. Uh, Purdue fans, you, you, you have to deal with things like this now. Uh, spoiler maker teams now forming a showcase event. And we'll talk some Notre Dame football. Tom Loy will join us 24-7 sports around 8.30. Notre Dame loses a key target for the rest of the season, plus the matchup with Clemson. We'll talk about that, probably talk a little bit about Dabo's comments as well. Uh, and before we leave you, three bears and a minivan. We'll explain what happened <laughs> as we wrap uh, things up here on a Tuesday. So I, I can't think of any worse candy options, though, besides those chews. Ugh. No, they're they're terrible. Really bad. I don't think there's a single person listening that liked those things. No. If if you did, let us know. Yeah, let us know. Four six eight six two, the text line number. So we we briefly mentioned this when we were talking about Mike Woodson and, and wanting to play Duke in an exhibition game. Why not play these games in the regular season and and you know teams getting away from mid majors? Here's the thing. All we're asking for is for there to be marquee matchups. To start the season, like the first two, three nights of the season in college basketball. That's all we're asking for. I'm not asking for every team to go out there and play another ranked team. I'm just asking for a couple of ranked matchups. The early season slate for college basketball is the reason why no one pays attention in November outside of maybe your your diehards uh, and people maybe paying attention Thanksgiving week because it's on TV. But like Purdue opens the season with Samford, uh, UConn with Northern Arizona. Like, you look at the opening night, the matchups, they're junk. And it's not helpful. It's not helpful for college basketball, and it's not helpful, in my opinion, to to grow the game and grow the sport. You got to go till I think, like, Friday, November 10th, I think, before you actually have a, a actual, like, ranked versus ranked matchup. And that's Arizona and Duke uh, playing in Durham. It's like, okay, well, why can't you just play this game number one? It was like when college football for a while had a bunch of these lame matchups to start the season. You had to wait until you got into week three or something to have any any games. And now college football is centered around to start the season around Labor Day weekend where you have a lot of big matchups. And you always want to hit hard to open the season. So you look at the, at college football do, does that over Labor Day weekend. Even now it's start dabbling into to week zero, but usually Labor Day weekend is it, right, for college football. Come yeah. out and just own the weekend. NFL, they kick off usually with the defending Super Bowl champion on Thursday night, a, a high-profile matchup before you go into the weekend. So that you look at baseball opening day. They try to have marquee matchups there. Uh, NBA, NHL, a little bit different, but college football – or college basketball just kind of comes in with a whimper, right? And, and for no reason. For no reason, right? It doesn't need to be like that. And and now they want to switch up some things at the end of the season. Yeah, to make things worse about what makes college basketball good. So the NIT, which I get fans make jokes about, but the NIT means everything to mid-major conference champions, regular season champions, who don't make the NCAA tournament because they failed to automatically qualify with their uh, conference tournament championship or they just 
you know, didn't get in uh, if, if they had a really good conference season, but again, didn't win their conference tournament championship. Sometimes those teams get in more often than not, they do not. So the NIT is moving away from automatic bids for mid-major conference regular season champs. They'll guarantee two bids, though, from each Power Six conference. This, this to me, feels like the beginning of the end for mid-majors, not only in the NIT, but also in the NCAA. Now, ESPN has the NIT TV rights. So are they trying to, to get more marquee programs for better TV ratings? You can't convince me otherwise, right? To try right. to make the event a bigger draw. But also, with this... You're taking away good teams off the board. No one cares about watching uh, NIT-bound Indiana, for example, against NIT-bound Providence. No one cares. Nobody's watching the NIT. Well, I mentioned at the end of the the first hour about college football and how they've started catering, of course, to the Power Five and soon to be Power Four. They've really separated themselves from the group of five in terms of the importance. But that's in college football. It's always been that way, but it's even more pronounced as we continue to go forward. And are we seeing now a fundamental shift in college basketball and putting more important importance on the power six, as opposed to everybody else. And we talked about that based on scheduling. If the power six conferences decided, Hey, we're only going to schedule one or two with the low to mid majors per season and everybody just play each other in the Power Six conferences, that would be the equivalent of what you're seeing in college football, and that would separate them, right? And whether you like that or not, but right now there's a lot of parity in college basketball when you look at how you can get into the NIT and NCAA. Looks like this move by the NCAA is trying to make it more top-heavy, making sure those Power Six conferences are getting the majority of the bids, and not just in the NCAA tournament, but now in the NIT and leaving behind those low and mid-major teams because you're going by net rankings, all this stuff. Yeah, they, they made up a new system. Well, uh, you know, that no one, no one actually believes it. The net is a joke. RPI was a joke. If you want to go by an actual ranking system, people go by the Ken Palm rankings. But you're looking at it as so instead of getting automatic bids from the Summit League and the Horizon League and the and the MEAC and the MAAC and all that stuff, is you're going to have middling. Power six teams is what you're going to have. And unfortunately, that's kind of the direction that college athletics, at least college football, has gone. And now you're seeing a, a concerted effort now to do the same thing in college basketball. The, the, the quote-unquote group of five teams in college football are being left behind. Are we seeing a fundamental shift in college basketball where the top what would you say, 70 teams or something are going to leave behind mm-hmm. the other 250? Well, in, in you have the MAC commissioner, John Steinbrecher, calling the move troubling. He's not wrong. And then you have this word salad of a quote by NIT board chairman Dan Gavitt. The postseason college basketball landscape is becoming more competitive for teams that don't qualify for March Madness. The change to the selection process for the 2024 NIT is a necessary effort to evolve this historic tournament in a dynamic event marketplace. Mm. Uh, that's a that's a word salad with a bunch of nothing. I don't understand um, a word he just said. Yeah, I, I don't either. And I don't think he does either. It was just a statement to to make it sound good. Here's the here's the thing. <coughs> What's the if f- you can't make the NCAA tournament and you're in a power six conference, you don't deserve, you don't deserve an NIT bid over right. a mid major conference champion. Period. 
and it's an interesting thing because we 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 uh, it's always discussed about the NCAA tournament expanding and the NIT going away. As we've talked about that, is mm-hmm. why don't you just take the thirty two teams in the NIT that make the NIT and just put them in the NCAA tournament if you want to expand, if you wanted to do that. But are we reaching a point at some point in the next, let's say, decade? And a texter brought this up about low to mid majors creating their own tournament to crown a champion of a low mid major outside of the teams that make the NCAA tournament. Because as you're seeing, there's less and less at large bids going to those mid majors in the NCAA tournament. And now you're seeing the NIT change its format to favor the high major teams, the power conferences. So all this is kind of going into what we're going to see in college basketball that we've seen in college football. You have the haves, you have the have nots, and it's all based on money and prestige and what conference you're in. And these are all changes that we're, we're seeing in college basketball that could lead to the same, very same thing. Eventually, the automatic bids for the mid-major conferences are going to go away. You know that's what they want to do. And do I find it a coincidence that you just had a Final Four with Florida Atlantic and San Diego State? And San Diego State making the championship game, and then they're making this move. I don't think it's a coincidence at all. Oh, you've seen Loyola do it, recent memory, right? So it's it. There is tangible evidence that some of these mid majors can make big time runs in the NCAA tournament. Yet it seems like the NCAA wants to make it more difficult for those teams to do that. Because make no mistake, these low and mid major teams, how they reach that point, that pinnacle is building over the process of a program over years and years, which includes making the NIT. Yes. And and that's a big deal for low and mid-major teams to make the NIT. Now you're making it more difficult. So if let's say, let's take a Florida Gulf Coast, for example, and how they've they've grown into what they are now, is that started by being really good in your league and then making an NIT and taking the momentum and recruiting and, hey, we were in the NIT last year, come play for us, and then it eventually burgeons into making the NCAA tournament. That's growth, but now you're shutting that door for more low and mid-major teams. 46862, the text line number 46862. Uh, Someone else saying 2006, George Mason, VCU and Butler recently. I mean, the list goes on and on, right, of mid-major teams making the Final Four. Uh, someone else saying CK Oral Roberts recent run in the NCAA tournament made a lot of money for every summer league school and big schools don't want to share that money. Yeah, they don't. But here's the thing. Um, no one wants to see the the fringe teams that didn't make the t- like they have no business being the NCAA tournament. If you're right. a Big Ten school or ACC school and you are left out of the NCAA tournament, you're left out for a reason. You've had plenty of chances to to put together a resume. You shouldn't get in. That's the thing, and I know that's what they want to do. Eventually, we'll just get to a point where the tournament's expanded and every Power 6 school gets in, and that's all it is. Because that's what right. they seemingly want or this to do. have be. a separate tournament with all we, those Power yeah. 6 teams, and then you you have a separate tournament for the low and mid-majors. Which would be an absolute joke and would take away from what the NCAA tournament is I think and why people love it so much. The good thing that college basketball has going is I think the 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 uh, separation between the top programs and the mid-majors is as small as it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And while conversely, I think it's that gap is just getting larger and larger between group of five and power five in college football. 
that distance is widening in college football, and I think it's shrunk in college basketball. And what we're talking about this morning is taking that away, is widening that gap again between the haves and have-nots. Someone else texting in, the new NIT rules will just push more kids to the transfer portal. When you don't have anything to play for, yeah. when you when you go to Purdue-Fort Wayne and you say, okay, if we win the regular season in the horizon, automatically we go to the NIT. That's a big deal for Purdue-Fort Wayne. That's a big deal for 100 other schools around the country that are like Purdue-Fort Wayne. You take that away, what's the draw? But here's the thing. You, you transfer out and... Will you have an option? You know, your option will be another mid-major unless you're a star player. Then you might land at a, a power school. But like the the portal is supposed to be set up where if you're a star player in a mid-major for a year or two, you, you'd have the opportunity to transfer out and and play in a bigger name program. And I have no problem with that, right? Right. Um, well, I think it goes both ways too because say you're a, a player on a power five and want to transfer power six let's say that for college basketball uh and and now maybe you do transfer closer to home for a mid-major and be a dude uh for a team but now when you look like at the, the road to get to the tournaments the postseason events is dip more difficult i'm just going to go to another power six another tech ck and that's why the big boys don't or won't play the little schools a win you should have won but a loss a huge black eye in your resume Here, here's where I, I will counter that a little bit they don't want to play the little schools that are good. They'll play the the programs <laughs> that are absolute junk and get their guaranteed buy games. They just don't want to play the competitive little schools. And that kind and of that's the issue right. that that these schools run into. That's the issue that Loyola eventually ran into. Um, Nobody will play them. That's I mean, the issue that Butler ran into back in the day before they eventually made it to the Big East. You look at it, and we talked about it in the first hour about you know the big schools just beating up on each other in the non conference. How we'd rather see that. That said is you look at some of these these schools that, that some of these teams play. Like, look at IU. Like, they're never, ever going to play Purdue-Fort Wayne again. Ever. No. Ever. Because they don't win it. They don't get anything for it. Um, if, they, if you win, you're supposed to win. If you lose, of course, you're on SportsCenter. So th- there's just no reason to play that game. And But going back to the original subject about the, the NIT and, and kind of shutting the door of these low and mid-majors is that's what you're doing. We've seen money talk for all the wrong reasons in college football. We're now starting to see it, too, because they look at it and say, the NCAA wants to be in cahoots with the Power Six conferences. They want to do everything they possibly can to appease them because that's where the money is, right? And that's what the that's why the NIT is going this direction. They don't care about low and mid-major opportunities because the money's not there. But if they can say, hey, we have a place for two or three more of your conference's teams in the NIT that didn't make the NCAA tournament, that benefits them money-wise. And that's what this is all about. It's all about the money. Uh, someone's saying, CK, you're right. I'm a Dayton fan. They have the exact same problem. Nobody wants schools. to pay the they're, flyers. They're too good. You're too good, but you're a mid-major. Uh, someone else, how will NIL play a role in this discussion? Mid-majors have the same opportunity to get players as anyone else now. You up the billionaire alumni who is passionate about the team. Yeah, if you have a billionaire alumni for your school, if you're in Eastern Michigan or... You know, Northern Arizona. I'm just trying to think of of schools out there. Like, yeah, that sounds great if you have that, but a lot of these schools don't have that. Yeah, not only do you not have that, if you do have that, is it somebody that wants to invest in your athletics program? It I mean, could be somebody to somebody that wants to invest in your fine arts 
or your uh, other educational things around campus. They don't necessarily want to put money into the athletics. I think if you're in a mid-major program, but if you're in a market where your school at least stands out, uh, you have an NIL opportunity with local businesses and shopping yourself that way, but that's about it. So it, it it's just a, 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 a step that it kind of flies a little under the radar because it's the NIT, and once the tournament starts, nobody cares about the NIT. Yeah. But you're also looking at it as, as really limiting the options for low to mid majors that have really good seasons. And we use Purdue Fort Wayne as an example. If they go out and win the the uh, horizon league in the regular season, which they've done before and they got into the NIT because of it. Now, all of a sudden that likely won't happen. Then you're playing in a meaningless CBI tournament or something where you're paying money to participate, which nobody is doing. Careful what you wish for. If you're the NCAA, this NIT move is one thing, but you know, it's on their radar for the tournament itself. Coming up on the other side, Tom Loy, 24-7 Sports, will join us. A key injury for the Irish, a Clemson team reeling, and Al Golden. And the Irish hang on to him. We'll talk about all that and more with Tom Loy next here on Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the Morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, fired up today. A lot of... A lot of basketball talk, a lot of football talk uh, in in the college realm, the NIT news, and then we have Dabo Sweeney's comments, and we'll continue the conversation at least a little bit about that, and more so focus on the matchup Saturday, Clemson and Notre Dame in South Carolina. Joining us on the guest line, Tom Lloyd, 24-7 Sports, to break it all down. Morning, Tom. Happy Halloween. Hey, you as well. How are we doing? Doing well, doing well. So we were discussing earlier uh, the the like worst candy you could get as a kid. We came up with those peanut butter like chews. Can you think of anything worse than that? Um, oh, those are pretty good. Um, uh, probably just candy corn. Ooh, I yeah. Talking, I, I saw them in the uh in the press box this weekend, and that was I was very disappointed by who had them, and and it's just, <laughs> it's. You know, it kind of shook me up a little bit pregame. It bothered me, so I called him out for it and said, those need to not be in here anymore. <laughs> and uh, I expressed my displeasure towards it. So, yeah, that would nice timing for that one. Are efforts to revoke his uh, media access underway, led by you, because of that performance? I mean, it was just it was very disappointing. He's a guy that I respect greatly in his profession, and um, <laughs> he's a young up-and-comer, and then I saw that, and I said, we're done. So. <laughs> was it the original, or was it at least the kind that had, like, the chocolate, like, tips no, or no, whatever? original. They were, like, yellow, orange, and, like, like, the original, it was very disappointing. So, yeah. I have not been offered candy corn or actually had the opportunity to eat candy corn this year, so I consider that a victory. That's a win for you. No yes. Uh, what's not been a win is, is Dabo Sweeney and Clemson of late. Uh, we, we talked about his comments in hour number one, but he, he did have some comments that I found very curious calling Notre Dame uh, you know, one of the best all-around teams that Clemson will face all year over a Florida State team. Was that a particular dig, or does he really believe that? I'm sure it's I'm sure it's a respect factor, no question. Uh, he's pretty. I would say he's pretty calculated about what he says, and I think he's got a lot of respect for Florida State. I think he's got a lot of respect for Notre Dame. I'm not sure he's trying to take any shots at this point. I mean, this Notre Dame team really is um, strong, and uh, from start to finish, and 
you know, top to bottom. And they, it, talking about this over the weekend a little bit, like this team is really, it's so, so good. And they had one little, they could be very much in the college football playoff hunt if they didn't, you know, have a huge letdown against Louisville. But look at the way this team is playing the last couple of weeks, and this is this is what you expected. Um, you know, start of the season they were really strong, and then they had a little bit of a letdown, and then back up the season they're really playing at a high level. So very disappointing in, in the sense when you look at it and, and you kind of like when they run the table, and if you see a ten and two football team at the end going to a good good bowl game, it's just you think about what could have happened. And, and then, I mean, all you can do at that point is kind of look forward to the future and, and try to fix it. But it's just, I mean, more Xavier Watts, you might beat Ohio State, um, things like that. So it's just, it's a whole lot of what if. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of respect, both from Marcus Freeman towards Clemson and that entire program, and then also Deba Sweeney towards the likes of Notre Dame, Florida State, and the others. Tom, we, we've talked uh, over the months how about the Notre Dame offense, and even heading into the season, there's so much excitement with Sam Hartman and that offensive front with two projected first-round picks and the cadre of running backs they have in the backfield. But the defense has really led the way for, for what I think the majority of the season, and we saw them back-to-back weeks play very well against USC and Pitt. Has it caught you off guard about how good this defense has developed into? It had individual pieces, but particularly up front there was questions. The depth in the secondary has been greater than I thought it was going to be. So when we look at, at maybe surprises for Notre Dame, has it caught you off guard about how good this defense has become? I wouldn't say it caught me off guard because I was kind of banging the drum and saying that I thought the out-golden hire was going to be a really good one. I, I liked his, his scheme, his tactics, and, and honestly, like Marcus Freeman was so fired up about this hire and um, with both of those guys collectively as well as the rest of the staff, I thought that, that they were going to turn this group into a machine. Um, the one that surprised me, and only because of the production, um, is Xavier Watts. And, I mean, I, we went back and kind of looked at some, some stories we wrote and uh, some analysis and breakdowns. And myself, uh, our former director of scouting, Barton Simmons, and then Kevin Sinclair that's over at Irish Illustrated as well with me, we were all in agreement that we thought Watts should be a safety at the next level, and that's where he was, you know, where he could be an NFL player. And obviously he started at receiver, and, and you know, rightfully so, because he was a very good receiver coming out of uh, Omaha High School. Or, I'm sorry, Burke High School in Omaha, Nebraska. And super athletic kid, but, but I just didn't, you know, I didn't see it in, in the sense of, like, being an elite, elite NFL receiver, whereas – Man, when you when you turn on the tape and you watch him run around and you see what he, he could do defensively, I just thought he could be a playmaker and and really a game game changer, and that's exactly what he's turned into. Now, getting a little dicey where I think he's doing too much too late, and it's going to be potentially him leaving for the NFL draft. Um, I think if he comes back, so I think he'd be right now. He'd probably be drafted in the middle of the round middle of the NFL draft potentially. I don't really know. It's been it's just been so so much so quickly. But I genuinely think if that if that dude comes back for one more season, I think he could be the first safety taken off the board. Now if that's if that's NFL teams think that's the case now, then obviously that guy needs to leave. But I really think that he could be you know safety number one if he comes back and um, plays one more year under Golden with O'Leary. Um, but he's probably been my 
biggest surprise only because, not that I didn't expect it, but what he's done so quickly in picking up the, the, the scheme, the game, after so much movement throughout his career. But, no, this defense is very real. Um, I asked about Al Golden and whether, you know, behind the scenes, whether people think he's going to leave. Now, if, if the NFL comes calling and there's a, like a premier job opens up and he could be a D.C. or something at the next level, I mean, it's, it would be tough because he's, I think mentally, I think he's an NFL head coach. But let me just tell you, like, he has come around so much over the last 12 months when it comes to recruiting. He's bought into Marcus Freeman. Um, he's more excited to be here. So it's not going to be an easy slam dunk that he leaves. He's very happy. And Marcus Freeman wanted somebody initially that's going to be there for three, two, three, four years and really create continuity. But uh, And then if he, come, if he comes back, man, the, they're just scratching the surface for how good this defense can be. So... I uh, just can't have any let-ups, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun, but I do know that some people inside the Goog at Notre Dame still believe that Golden will be the DC next year. So you know maybe they're just really this year's fun. Maybe next year could be even better. So it'll be fun to watch. Tom Lloyd, twenty four seven Sports, joining us on the guest line. You touched on something I want to get into next. Al Golden and his level of success. Is it different in terms of compared to previous Notre Dame defensive coordinators? The Al, Gal- uh, Al Golden's already been that college head coach that, you know, he's maybe not as apt to leave because he's already kind of reached that mountaintop in the college coaching profession. I mean, that was just really part of um, Freeman's decision-making. He didn't want some one-and-done. He wanted somebody that was going to want to be here for a couple years and really create continuity and develop these guys and, it's really a possibility that Mike Mickens is the next defensive coordinator just to, you know, continue on that growth. He's so smart and, you know, so educated, but schematically he's, he's, uh, a lot, he's got a lot of respect in that building. So, you know, Marcus Freeman could have gone out and hired the, the big name, you know, the Marcus Freeman, if you will, when he was coming out. But I think he made the, the decision that was best for not just himself but for the team and you don't see it as much anymore. You want you always see like these these young guns that are hired as defensive coordinator, and then a year later they're a head coach. But I don't think Al Golden has those aspirations anymore. But I think that the fact that he's been a head coach, I think it helps his um, the respect from the players. He knows how to run a program. He knows what Marcus Freeman is going through and dealing with, and he's taken a lot of, off of Marcus's plate, you know, defensively, so that he can really focus on being a head coach. So. It's just—it's been a great fit, and I and I loved it from the start. And I know it took a lot of backlash and a lot of heat, but um, at some point you gotta you gotta trust Marcus Freeman to make the right hire. And um, it's kind of the same way I feel about Jared Parker. And and if he comes back next year, and he's the OC once again, I think that people are going to be singing a different tune because I don't know why, but he takes a lot of flack. I know they're not lighting up the the scoreboard or the stat charts necessarily. I know that they're getting some big chunk plays and it's kind of inflating the stats, but I really think that it really comes down to a lot more execution than anything. I like the way he's calling the game. I like the play calls. I think he's doing a good job, but you know, if they can put the right pieces together, I think I think if you had a veteran group at receiver with, with kind of like not looking back to like where he's kind of handicapped, um, prior recruiting played a factor Fancy Stucky's guys are here, are getting here now. Um, some of his guys still aren't even playing. So I think next year you're going to see a much different offense. I think that it'll be a nice battle at quarterback, and you'll see if they want to go to the transfer portal. It's just 
I think next year's team is going to surprise a lot of people, especially on offense. But, man, keeping out Golden one more season is going to be key and, and obviously keeping the pieces because this defense, they're so good. But, man, there's, there's a lot of potential there to be even better next season. Tom, it was a big win last weekend, but also a big loss with Mitchell Evans going down. When you look at how Notre Dame replaces Mitchell Evans or at least tries to replace that production, is it Holden Stace now ascending to a, a more active spot? Or does Notre Dame really need those wide receivers to step up and somebody really take the reins as the, the, the safety blanket, so to speak, for Sam Hartman as Mitchell Evans has been all year long? Yeah, I mean, the names to know are Holden Stays, Eli Raritan, and Cooper Flanagan, who's a, who's a freshman. So you have Raritan that's been playing um, in the last couple of games. I think his first game back from an ACL injury was Louisville. Um, so he's got, I think he's got one more game as to whether you make that decision of whether you can redshirt him still uh, or if he's going to play out the rest of the year. Now, obviously, I think the decision to redshirt him was, was, was much more possible with Evans being you know in you know on the team playing still but if you could somehow look at the rest of the season and think okay we've got some receivers here we still have Holden stays uh we have a backup option who can kind of play a bunch of different roles in david sherwood cooper flanagan is starting to show show a lot of promise he's a great blocker and uh you know he's a good young receiver at tight end so can he can he contribute um you know you want to preserve eligibility especially a guy like eli raritan who's coming back from the injury He's remained healthy. Can you get him through an entire full off season and have him ready to go week one next season? So um, it's kind of there's going to be a lot of decisions, um, you know, that come into play over the, over the next week or two and see how things go this weekend first. But you got to get Rarid into you know involved a little bit more, you know, in the passing game. Yeah, I don't think he's been targeted yet, um, and if he's been targeted, doesn't have any any catches yet. So I'd like to see him get some opportunities to make some plays. He's just been out there doing a lot of really good blocking at this point. And then Steve Angeli found Cooper Flanagan for a touchdown um, this past weekend, which was nice to see because I really like Flanagan coming out of high school. I think he's a guy that uh, went to the same school as Isaiah Foskey, did a lot of the same things both at tight end and off the edge. So really good athletic tight end and a guy that's going to kind of keep that tight end you mantra, you know, moving forward and for years to come. So he can be counted on, but, yeah, I think your your initial go-to option is Holden Stays. Um, he's obviously had some really good games. He, he played great on the road against NC State earlier this year. So, uh, But really, I don't think that you're going to look at the rest of these games and think, okay, you know what, they lost to Clemson. It was clearly because they didn't have Mitchell Evans. So they have they have guys out there that can make enough plays. I mean, Mitchell Evans is a huge blow, and he's, he was really kind of coming, coming into his own, and I was excited to see what he did the rest of the year. But he'll bounce back. There's definitely enough weapons that Notre Dame can be fine, um, but that's that's really the kind of the core that you're going to be watching uh, stays Raritan and, and Flanagan. When you look at this matchup coming up on Saturday, I know everybody's asking what's wrong with uh, with Clemson, but it is a team that's played well at home. It's only loss at home, that overtime loss to Florida State. Is it a game that uh, is more dangerous than maybe people are are giving it credit for? against Clemson, or does Notre Dame have a decided advantage heading into the noon kickoff at Clemson? I think that Notre Dame is clearly the better team, top to bottom. Uh, but anybody looking past Clemson on the road needs to, 
um, take a step back and realize that they, they shouldn't be overlooking this team. Now, I mean, more importantly, who cares what the fans do because Notre Dame's not going to overlook this team. I mean, you look at Clemson's schedule, they lost to Duke uh, decisively uh, 28-7, and then they lost to Florida State in overtime, they lost to Miami in overtime, they lost to NC State. So all teams that, other than NC State really, um, that Notre Dame did or could struggle with at times, um, and they're all they're all good good programs. So it's not like they're losing games that they that they shouldn't. They decisively beat the teams that they should have. So again, like I just feel like this is Clemson on the road. I think it's a noon noon kick, which makes it a little bit um, where every everybody's a little bit more calm and reserved, other than you know a night kick in Death Valley under the lights. It could have gotten a little dicey, but no, I, I think Notre Dame wins this one. I think they win it convincingly. Um, I don't expect it to be close when the final score, you know, when the clock hits zero and the final score appears. I just think that the, this Notre Dame team is, is just much better. But at the same time, like, you still have to play the game. And, you know, Cade Klubnick can come out and have his best game. Um, it seems like Will Shipley is is on the fence whether he's going to be able to go. His his uh, kind of got knocked out of the last game, and it was it looked more gruesome than, than it might have if he plays because it looked like a really bad you know, neck injury could be a stinger, and um, I mean, he wasn't moving. It was it was pretty scary at the sense, but I think he's he's going to be kind of projected to be maybe a game time decision. But they still have Phil Moffa. They still have some tools offensively. They have a lot of talent. They've recruited at a very high level uh, for a long time, and, and obviously Dabo Sweeney went on that rant uh, last night on the call. But um, and he was right in so many ways for whatever it's worth, in my opinion. But um, it's still a really strong team. It's a dangerous team. Um, if you told me that they beat Notre Dame, yeah, I'd be a little su- surprised. But if they run the rest of the table and you know beat Georgia Tech, North Carolina, South Carolina, it wouldn't really shock me either. So dangerous team. Don't look past them. But in the end, um, I expect Notre Dame to win and uh, keep the thing rolling. Tom Loy, 24-7 Sports with us. Tom, for the record, we, we agree as well. Dabo's earned the right uh, to, to have a quote-unquote down year at four and four. Mm-hmm. Tom, as always, appreciate the time. Thanks, fellas. Talk to you soon. Tom Lloyd, 24-7 Sports with us. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap things up on a Halloween edition of Caleb and Kenny in the Morning. Some bears in a minivan. We'll tell you what happened next. Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping up here on a Tuesday, Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Real quick, uh, St. Peter's and Fairleigh Dickinson are playing the Battle of the Bracket Busters November 15th. Battle of the Purdue Bracket Busters. Yes. Uh, no word if North Texas and Little Rock are <laughs> set to play a matchup as it well. It could be a turn- a grow to be a yeah. know, bigger tournament every year as teams <laughs> knock off Purdue in the postseason. Let's hope not for Purdue fans. At least at least get to the Sweet 16. That's I think that's all anyone asks for every year. Uh, meanwhile, in North Carolina... Sheriff's deputies had to use some rope to free a trio of bears that became locked inside a minivan. This is in right. Avery County. Uh-huh. Report of a bear cub on top of a minivan. They arrived to find there were three more inside. The van's battery had died. Used a key to unlock the front door. A deputy said, didn't realize the bear came up to the driver's side seat when I was trying to unlock the door. Caught me off guard. Slapped the window real hard and I jumped. <laughs> so there were three of them in the van. Yes. One, one on, on top. top. Uh, yeah. 
Just some bear hijinks. Severe damage inside the van, as one would think. I would imagine. Um, but they hooked Was a there... rope to the door handle, allowed the mother bear to escape, and then I would assume everyone else followed oh, suit. Oh, the mother bear was in there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't yeah. mess with no. the mother and her cubs. No, was you Was there do not. food in there? I imagine there was I'm, food in uh, that they, they said the van was, un, uh, like, I would believe the van was unlocked. I don't know how the bears locked the van, though. I guess just moving yeah, around. Just moving around, hitting a button. pressed a button. Yeah. So, not ideal. No, not at all. The bears just uh, just keep rolling. Keep, keep making things easy to wrap up the show every day. Oh, the bear the stories continue will continue as, as long as we have them. Yes. Uh, thanks to Tom Lawley for Justin Kinney. I am Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick's show, The Herd with Colin Coward at noon. Indiana Sports Beat, Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And The Sports Rush with Brett Rump. Another chance to win IU tickets today. All here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.